Okay, so this morning is uh, the second last week uh, of our series on Killjoys. We've been looking at those things in our lives that so often kill our joy. Uh, and how it is that Jesus offers uh, a much better way for us. Jesus has a better, more satisfying, more fulfilling plan uh, for each one of us. Uh, a wee plug for you, the book, uh, which is based on this summer sermon series, uh, is titled Killjoys. Uh, we have two or three copies left. So if you want a copy, um, then do speak to me. Um, we've managed to discount the book, so it's five English pounds, or British pounds, uh, if you're interested in acquiring one. So um, do uh, speak to me at the end of the service uh, if you would like a, a copy of that. Um, we've defined Killjoys uh, as the seven deadly sins. Um, what scripture and history would more often than not point towards uh, as being the seven sources of sin, uh, the seven acts of adultery uh, against God. Uh, we've looked together at pride, uh, the sin of elevating ourselves uh, above God. Uh, Andrew McBride, in the second week, looked at unrighteous anger, uh, the sin of being displeased and hostile as it relates to a selfish desire. Uh, Patrick uh, looked at envy, the sin of being unhappy at the blessing and fortune of our people. Uh, a few weeks back, we looked together at sloth, the sin of looking for comfort, satisfaction, meaning outside of God himself. Uh, and last week, we looked together at greed, the sin of carrying within our hearts an inordinate desire for money uh, and possessions. We're not just looking at the problem of these sins, uh, we're also trying to identify the solution. And the solution is always Jesus. He is the one who destroys our sin through the cross, and he is the one who fulfills and satisfies and gives us meaning and purpose in every season of life. Uh, before we understand the good news, uh, we need to know the bad news. Uh, next week, TJ is going to be looking at gluttony. Um, and this week, we're looking at the very difficult but very relevant subject of lust. Uh, and the ways in which it can impact our life. And how it is that we can respond if we experience uh, lust in our lives. So to understand this deadly sin of lust, we're going to go back to a chapter in the New Testament that we actually looked at uh, a few weeks back. Um, we're looking at uh, the first part of this chapter. Uh, it's First Thessalonians <coughs> Uh, chapter 4 uh, and verses 1 through to 8. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to this passage. Your words are going to be up on the screen. If you want a physical copy of a Bible, there are some up at the back there. Um, I'm reading from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, and Paul writes uh, in verse 1 uh, of this passage. Um, he says this, Additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God, as you are doing, do this even more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honour, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger of all these offences, as we also previously told and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word uh, this morning. Well, I hope you know this about me by now, um, but I'm a Christian. Uh, I'm someone who follows uh, Jesus. Uh, I do so because I've chosen 
in my life to turn from my sin and to believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that he has given me new life through the gift of his Holy Spirit, that he rose from the dead. And through the work of his Spirit in my life, I can experience transformation. The Bible says that I'm a new creation. I've been transformed, changed from the inside out. And I can honestly see that in my life. I can see the difference that Jesus has made. I can see the spirit work that he is doing in me so that I might one day get to that place where I fully conform to the image of Christ. I can see how it is that God has done a work in my life. But I know I've still got a long way to go. I know that because I find that every day is a battle. Every day is a battle for the faith. I have to make a choice in every single moment that God gives to me. Am I going to live my life in the flesh, in the strength of my own carnal desires? Or am I going to live my life in the power of God's Spirit? Every day is a battle because I carry a dual identity in my heart. I'm a saint, a child of God, and I'm also a sinner saved by grace. I have to decide each day, am I going to live for Jesus? Or, or am I going to live for myself? This is a battle that is older than any other battle. And this is a battle that is at the root of every other battle that we find in our lives. And we find where this battle comes from at the start of our Bibles. You know, one of the things I've loved to do this year, and I've mentioned it already, is to use the Read Scripture app. Um, and through Read Scripture, it's basically a Bible reading plan that gives you about four chapters of Scripture every single day. And through an entire year, you don't need to start in January, you can start at any point, you're able to read the entire Bible um, within 12 months. And you read the Bible in chronological order, so you get the full story of God's plan and purpose for each one of us. And your first day of read scripture, you'll read how this battle began. You'll see what takes place, why this issue in our lives arises. In Genesis chapter 3, your first parents believed the lie of the devil. They believed that a life outside of God would fulfill and satisfy. And they chose to reject God in their life. They chose to pursue something other than God. And it resulted in their lives becoming completely broken and destroyed. And from this moment in the Bible all the way through, we read of a people who faced this daily battle. They had to make this constant choice. Am I going to live my way or am I going to live God's way? Isaiah summarises this really well for us in the Old Testament. We read here that what many regard to be the key issue of Scripture, there is a difference between how it is that we want to live our lives and how God wants us to live our lives. This is confirmed in Isaiah 55, starting in verse 6, and the words will be up on the screen. Isaiah says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will freely forgive. And this is a key part. For my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And you know, what is true for people in scripture and for everyone in human history is true for every single one of us here this morning. Every single person in Denison, every person in Glasgow, every person in Scotland, every person in our world. 
His thoughts are not your thoughts. His ways are not your ways. His ways are higher than your ways and his thoughts than your thoughts. It's important that we hold on to these words when it comes to us looking at the subject of lust. Because in looking at this deadly sin, we're going to examine sexual practice, sexual ethics, and there is every chance that your understanding of what is right and wrong when it comes to sexual practice and sexual ethics is in fact different from God's understanding. And the reason for that is because of the words of Isaiah. His thoughts are not your thoughts. His ways are not your ways. His ways are higher than your ways and his thoughts than your thoughts. John Piper defines lust in his chapter in Killjoys in this way. A sexual desire that dishonours its object and disregards God. His definition of lust is actually rooted in verses 4 to 5 uh, of our passage in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. Paul writes, starting in verse 4, that God's will, and it'll be up on the screen, is that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honour, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. So here Paul shows us with these words that holiness and honour are in fact the exact opposite of lustful passions, meaning that lust is therefore a dishonouring of its object and lust is a complete disregard for God. Piper says elsewhere, lust is what sexual desire becomes when that honour and holiness are missing. So when it comes to sexual desire, what does it mean to honour? And what does it mean to dishonour? We honour or dishonour depending on how it is we respond to our understanding of marriage. And we don't have time to look at these verses, but there's an undeniable connection, especially in the New Testament, between sexual desire and practice and marriage. When sex occurs within a marriage, there is honour. And when sex occurs outside of marriage, there is dishonour. And our culture will provide us with so many different definitions of what marriage is. But I want you this morning to choose one. And that's the definition that Jesus provides in Matthew chapter 19. And responding to a difficult pastoral question, Jesus here clearly defines what marriage is in verses 4 to 6. And it should be up on the screen. Um, Jesus says, haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So marriage, according to Jesus, is between one man and one woman. So it's so important we understand this this morning because there's every chance that your definition of marriage is different to Jesus' definition. And if that is the case, then I take you back to Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. For as, high, for as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, there's something so much bigger, of so much greater value and significance and importance than the voice of our culture. And that is the voice of God's word. If our culture was right and the word of God was wrong when it comes to understanding what lust is, 
then why are we so messed up and broken uh, in our society? You know, our society says that lust, sexual immorality is actually a good thing that we should celebrate and rejoice in. But why is our society so broken? One of the main ways in which we see sexual brokenness and lust manifest in people's lives today uh, is through the use of pornography. Uh, And maybe this is an issue for you today. Maybe this is something that you struggle with. You struggle with the battle of porn uh, in your life. The 2014 Covenant Eyes report estimated that global porn revenues were around $20 billion. So this is four years ago. So it's going to be a lot more now. Pornography in recent years has accounted for 69% of the total pay-per-view internet content market, which overtook news, sports and video games. Damon Brown, who is an author on the issue of pornography, wrote this, and for me, this really emphasises how much our hearts are driven and drawn towards lustful passions. So Brown writes this about pornography. It seems so obvious If we invent a machine, the first thing we're going to do after making a profit is use it to watch porn. When the projector was invented roughly a century ago, the first movies were not of damsels in distress tied to train tracks or Charlie Chaplin style slapsticks. They were stilted porn shorts called stag films. VHS became the dominant standard for VCRs, largely because Sony wouldn't allow pornographers to use Betamix. The movie industry followed porn's lead. DVDs, the internet, cell phones, you name it, pornography planted its big flag there first, or at least shortly thereafter. So whether it's pornography, or acts of adultery, or whether it's through what we see, or say, or do, or think about, the reality is that our lustful hearts are driven to sexual desire and practice outside of where it should be, that being Jesus' definition of marriage. And in doing this, we dishonour those that we objectify. We use them for our own selfish gain. So lust is all about dishonour. It's all about dishonouring people. And lust is also about disregarding God. It's about rejecting God in your life. Choosing to separate yourself from God. If your sexual practice and desire are outside of the marriage bed, then there is no regard for God. Instead, there is complete disregard for him. The couple who are not really a couple, they're a couple momentarily because of their one night stand. They're not going to finish their time in prayer, giving God thanks for this moment. The person who's who's immersed in pornographic images on a smartphone is not, as Paul would say in Philippians 4, rejoicing in the Lord always. The married man who's flirting with a colleague in work is not actively living a life of faith. Every act of lust is a complete disregard for God. It's the opposite of faith. And so our response to lust must always be one of faith. This is what Paul is speaking about in verse 5. He shows us that lustful passions and knowledge of God never go together. You can't have a life of faith and have a life of lust. Again, we read that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honour, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. They don't live a life of faith. 
This isn't head knowledge of God, who he is and what he has done for us. This is heart knowledge. This is a life that chooses to respond in faith and to believe that God has the very best for him. Again, Jesus speaks of this in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5.8. He says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So it's about knowing God in here, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, that God is faithful, and he wants to bless us and provide for us. So that's the issue uh, of lust uh, in each one of our lives. And the question that I want to ask in response to this is how can we in faith fight lust and know God with all that we are? So how can we in faith fight this issue and also know God with all that we are? Well, I'm going to suggest four ways in which we can do this. Um, and the first way, in the power of God's Spirit, we fight lust with, number one, our eyes. We fight lust with our eyes. That is, we avoid sights and situations that will cause us to lust, that will cause us to experience some form of sexual immorality in our hearts and minds. You choose not to watch certain TV shows. When you read the resume of a film and you realise that it has sexual content, you choose not to watch it. When you read an article in a newspaper and you realise that you're crossing a line here, you turn it off or you close the paper. You choose not to look at people walking down the street. You avoid sights and situations that are going to cause you to lust. And there's a danger here that we can draw this invisible line and we can say, and hopefully this line is rooted in scripture, but we say to ourselves, okay, providing I don't cross this line, then I'm okay, I'm not committing lust. But the danger is that we dance along this line and we think to ourselves, well, I can almost flirt with this line and do the bare minimum to avoid lust. But my advice to you is, if you have a line, and as I said, hopefully it is rooted in God's word, that we should stay as far away from it as possible. We should be the opposite of lustful. Paul says in Ephesians 5.3 that there shouldn't be a hint, there shouldn't be the slightest suggestion of sexual immorality. Any kind of lust, any, anything that is impure and immoral, we have to avoid it because it destroys us. It will ruin us spiritually. Jesus warns us of this in Matthew 5 uh, verses 27 to 28. He says, you have heard it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Anyone that looks, anyone that experiences this internally has already committed adultery. See, this sin of lust is as much of what is going on on the inside as it is in terms of what it is we do on the outside. So in the power of God's spirit, we fight lust with our eyes. We avoid those slippery slopes. And in the power of God's spirit, we fight lust, number two, with our mind. Uh, John Piper says this about how it is we fight lust with our mind. He says, say no to every lustful thought right away. And say it boldly with the authority of Jesus Christ. And then in the quote, he writes exactly how it is we should say it. In the name of Jesus, no. So if you experience a lustful thought in your mind, then just say this prayer, in the name of Jesus, no. 
The longer you leave a lustful thought, the deeper the roots will go. We read in James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. John Owen famously said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. If we cozy up to sin in our lives, then it will destroy us. If you don't fight sin in your life, it will become your master. We can all testify to this. We all know those moments in our life, whether it's to do with lust or something else, where we allowed sin to manifest in our hearts and it became our master. It controlled us in so many different ways. And we don't just say no to sin. We also say yes to Jesus. So we say in the name of Jesus, no. And we also say in the name of Jesus, I can do all things, including the fight against lust. Enjoying God in my life, I can do these things through Christ who strengthens me. We say no to sin and we say yes to Jesus and we hold on to the promises of scripture. So we fight lust with our eyes, number one. We fight lust with our mind, number two. And we fight lust with our heart. One reason why lust wins is because Jesus is not alive in our hearts. We don't delight in Jesus. We don't enjoy his presence and experiencing his goodness and his mercy every day. Jesus has to be the greatest treasure in our lives. When we relegate Jesus, if we choose to put something else as more important than him, then when lust comes knocking on the door, it is much easier for us to open that door. If you put family or sports or chocolate or hobbies above Jesus, then lust has a greater opportunity to have an impact upon your life. Let your prayer be that of the psalmist in Psalm 90 in verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. Are you satisfied in the morning with Jesus? Do you enjoy being in his presence? That is what will help you fight the battle against lust. And our relationship with God is deeply satisfying. It's more fulfilling than anything this world can offer. And when you enjoy Jesus, you'll not need to enjoy anything of lust. You'll have the power to overcome it, to say no to those temptations and to embrace Christ in your life. So we fight the battle of lust with our heart. And finally, number four, and we fight this battle of lust and the power of God's spirit with our heart, with our hands and our feet. You know, sloth and lust often go together. Idleness or being consumed and immersed in, in our work and lust are often bedfellows. Before David committed adultery with Bathsheba, we read in 2 Samuel 11, 1, in the spring when kings march out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel. David chose to not do what it is he should have done. He should have went out to war, but in sloth, he experienced a moment of lust. It resulted in him committing adultery with Bathsheba, and this would eventually lead to the murder of Bathsheba's husband. Lust grows fast when we immerse ourselves in leisure, and so God calls us to use our hands and our feet in Jesus' name. Paul writes in Romans 12, 11, Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. 
Again in 1 Corinthians 15:58, we read, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. John Piper says this about the connection between hard work and fight and lust. Abound in work. Get up and do something. Sweep a room. Hammer a nail. Write a letter. Fix a faucet. And do it for Jesus' sake. You were made to manage and create. Christ died to make you zealous for good works. Titus 2.14 So we need to keep ourselves busy in the Lord. You'll find in your life that you'll experience temptations to lust when you're doing nothing, when you're sitting about and you're idle, or you're so immersed in what it is that you're doing that you lose sight of Jesus. God is calling us this morning to use our eyes, to use our mind, to use our heart, to use our hands and feet for his glory. And may we find victory through the power of God's Spirit. This morning we have opportunity to respond uh, in a couple of ways and I know this is a, a really difficult subject for us to look at but it's really important that we address this issue and so as we go into this time of worship there is opportunity for you to come forward and to receive prayer. If you struggle with lust or if you struggle with any particular sin, something that's maybe been pervasive in your life for a long time or even just for a season, then I invite you to come forward and to receive prayer, that God by his spirit would enable you to say no to sin and to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you want to make a decision today to follow Jesus for the first time. Then again I invite you to come forward and to receive Jesus, to turn from your sin and to believe in him. Or maybe it's just a situation that you're facing, maybe you're overwhelmed by something in your life. Come forward for prayer. If you need healing, come forward for prayer and we will pray for you that in God's power, he might heal you according to his will. So you can respond in prayer this morning as we sing. Or you can come to the table. You can do both if you want. If you have faith in Christ, you can come to this table. And you can break the bread. And you can remember Christ's sacrifice that was given for each one of us. We have victory and power over lust because of what this table symbolises. Jesus has died for our sins. And he has risen from the dead. And he has given us his Holy Spirit. And as we take that bread and we break it, we, we remember Christ's body that was given for each one of us. As you take that bread, I encourage you to then dip it into the cup and to reflect, to truly understand both head and heart of Christ's blood that was shed for each one of us. God actually died for you. Take a moment to ponder that. He actually died for each one of us. And so we take this bread, we dip it into the cup and we remember and we rejoice in the fact that Jesus has died for our sins. So these are ways that we can respond this morning to all that God has done for us. Let me pray and then we're going to respond in song. Lord, we do thank you um, that your word is, is honest with us and um, that um, your word does bring about challenge in so many different ways. Uh, and Lord, we recognise um, that that we need your grace every day. Lord, that none of us are, are guilt-free when it comes to the subject of lust. All of us face this battle in some way. And Lord, we ask that by your, your Holy Spirit uh, and through the, the reality of your cross, we might be a people who turn to you, 
and who believe that your cross is enough and that we might be a people who find our deepest satisfaction, our greatest joy is not in porn, it's not in what we look at or what we read about or what we watch, it's in you, it's in the cross and it's in the reality of what you've done for us and Lord that would just instill within us a desire to be more faithful and more fruitful for you and so we ask that you would bless this time that you would speak to us and that you would minister to us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.